2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand firm and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. I do want to thank you for the opportunity to be here with you this morning. Grateful to Pastor Stephen, Pastor Corey for the invitation uh, to speak and the wonder, wonderful hospitality that we have received. I was thrilled to visit with Pastor Justin and to know that you have a prayer pastor here on the staff. I will tell you, that tells me a lot about a church. If a church is going to focus in on prayer, that is a powerful statement about this church. Now, I know uh, next week is the week you dress up, and they said no scary costumes. I'm, I apologize. I'm dressed like someone from Washington, D.C. It's a little scary. <laughs> so I, I apologize in advance. You know, I, I actually, I have been a pastor, and so I do preach in churches across the country. And it's very interesting, the response I sometimes get when I'm introduced as being a guy from Washington, D.C. that works with the political uh, institutions and political leaders, and, and I get some of these stares like, wow, it's such a beautiful day, I should have stayed home and played golf. <laughs> and, and so I give this disclaimer, because long before I ever thought of politics, which I really don't care for much, the Lord called me to preach. At the age of 15, the Lord called me into the ministry to preach, and I began preaching in nursing homes. Now, little did I know that that was preparation for the legislature. Yeah. I found that both crowds are hard of hearing and very slow of moving. But I, I do bring you greetings from the Family Research Council. We've been in Washington, D.C. for 40 years. And what we bring is a biblical perspective to government. We believe that if this nation was good enough to be built upon Scripture, it's good enough to be guided by it today. We make no apologies for that. And in fact, one of the resources we have, if you'd be interested in, we, we have a series of worldview resources that address all of the issues that are out there today from the Scripture. And so if you'd like that, I think we've got a, 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 a slide. You just text the word worldview to 67742, and you can, if you want to take a shot of that, you can text that later. Uh, we do have some of the resources at a booth in the back, and if you could, uh, if you want to see that. But you, we have a whole series, so just text Worldview to six seven seven four two, and uh, you can get a link to all those in there. You can download them for free, so you can uh, study up on the issues and know how to address these with friends, family, children, uh, and neighbors. Now I'll mention this uh, maybe a little bit later, but I want to invite you to join us tonight. There's been a shift. How many know the scripture says a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps? Well, tonight we have turned our gathering at Blythewood, in Blythewood at the Village Church into a stand with and pray for Israel night. So I invite you to join us. Time is same. Doors open at four, worship, uh, five, worship at 5.30, and we will be doing this uh, a nationwide broadcast beginning at 6 PM. Michelle Bachman will be there, former congresswoman, presidential candidate, uh, also retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, founding member of Delta Force, and uh, he served with the Israeli Defense Forces. And we'll also have a message from the former ambassador from the United States to Israel, David Friedman, will be actually be joining us from Jerusalem with a, 
message. He's been a friend and been giving me updates from Israel over the last couple of weeks. We also, as we pray for Israel, I don't know if we can jump ahead to this slide, but before I forget, I challenge you to pray for Israel. The scripture tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And if you would like a prayer guide, we have a prayer guide available to help us pray through Israel. So just, you can text six, you can text Israel, it's not up there, Israel to 67742, the same number I gave you before, just text Israel to 67742 and you'll get a link to a prayer guide on Israel and some other resources we have available as we stand with and pray for Israel. And I think what we see happening in the Middle East, what we see happening here at home, I, I believe it tells us that we're living in times of great uncertainty. I mean, when people are turning on the news, I'm hearing this all the time, people are anxious, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that God has told us that something is going to happen, and he he has told us that we're not to be fearful of this moment. In fact, Paul says we're to stand firm. A recent report by Security Gauge, it's a crime risk assessment platform, they collected data on the most violent cities in America. Number one was actually Besmer, Alabama. I've driven through there many, many times. Followed by one out of my home state of Louisiana, Monroe, Louisiana. But tied for third was Memphis, Tennessee. And I could go into a lot of the social pathologies to explain why these cities are violent when you see the breakdown of the family, lack of fathers in the home, but I'll save that for another Sunday if I get invited back, brother. But in Memphis, Tennessee, there was a local resident that was being interviewed about the violence by a local television station when this happened. Turn your attention to the screen. ...about the city's crime problem almost every day, but today... That problem hit home for one of our crews while doing a story about crime in Whitehaven. We were interviewing a woman about the Memphis PD's plan to enforce the city's teen curfew when out of nowhere, a drive-by shooting across the street. Watch. Gotcha. So you spell your name for me? Uh, my name is Yolanda, Y-O-L-A-N-D-A. Get down, get down, get down. Just stay down and get down. That's okay, thank you, Lord Jesus. Just stay down and get down. It's uh, now they're coming back. Okay. You okay, Jay? Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus yes. that cover us. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, we should be all right. Okay. Drive by. Yep. Uh. You saw it, the black car. So here is this woman being interviewed by a reporter. And she is comforting the reporter, who you can hear is hyperventilating in the background, saying it's going to be okay. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. According to the word of God, this is what the church should be doing in this hour. We should be telling the world, we should be telling our neighbors, our children, our friends, if you are under the blood of Jesus, it is going to be okay. Stand firm upon the word of God. In this second letter to the Thessalonians, this is actually what Paul is telling the believers. He's saying there's challenges ahead. 
I'm not going to deny it. You're going to face difficulty, and it's going to get increasingly more difficult. But don't be shaken. Don't be deceived, but rather stand firm. As you're turning to 2 Thessalonians, you have your Bibles or your phones or however you turn to the Word of God, as you're turning there, let me give you some background on this passage. Paul had spent just a short period of time in Thessalonica on his second missionary trip. And as with most occasions when Paul would show up, there was a big stir, a big dust up because he preached the Word of God. He didn't shrink back from the conflict, wasn't looking for it, but he didn't run from it. You know, my dad, when I was a kid, he taught me something very early. He said, son, if you ever start a fight, I'm going to wear you out when you get home. He wore me out a few times. But then he said, son, if you ever run from a fight, I'm going to wear you out when you get home. And the Lord is saying, I don't want you to start anything. But if because you're standing for me... Conflict comes, don't run from that conflict. Stand firm in the truth. So Paul was there for a very short period of time after the, the conflict. He, they really chased him out of town and it was hurting others. So he went to Corinth. He stayed there for about 18 month, months and he sent Timothy back to check on to the church to see how they were doing. And Timothy comes back with a glowing report that they were growing, it was taking root, they were doing good. So around uh, 51 AD, he writes a letter to the Thessalonians, which we know as Thessalonians chapter, of chap, uh, book one. So book two, he writes a short period of time later to deal with um, some misunderstandings or misrepresentations of what he had written about in his first letter as it pertained to the coming day of the Lord. Now some in Thessalonica thought that the end of the world had begun, that this was it, that the judgment of God was about to commence, and so they were, um, some of them were a basket case. They were shaken violently in their mind, is what it says there in verse one. Others were just kind of sitting back, resting, not working, just kind of waiting, waiting for the rapture bus to pick them up. And he said, look, you can't be doing this. He had to correct their behavior because it was hindering the work and the witness of the church. So in this chapter, Paul lays out what will happen before the end when the Lord Jesus returns to the earth and sits in judgment. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 2 of the second book of Thessalonians. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... And are gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and, the, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's a great place to say amen. amen. The Lord is coming back. And he will reign as king of kings and lord of lords over everything. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand firm. And hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish in you every good word and work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And today we look to your word. Because you have said it is your word that will not return unto you void. And so this morning we do not look to the wisdom of men or the ideas of the ancient, but rather we look to your word, the everlasting truth. We look to you, Father, as the creator and the sustainer of all that is. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you are saying to us this day. Lord, I pray for even us, this local body of believers at Christian Life, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, that by your truth our lives would be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we would not soon be easily shaken, but we would stand firm upon your truth, being a source of encouragement, pointing the way to hope and help for all those who are seeking. Lord God, be with us now in this time together, we pray. We submit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the day of spiritual apostasy, lawlessness, and abandonment of truth, how are followers of Jesus Christ to stand firm? How are we to stand firm, as Paul said, when all that is happening around us runs counter to the truth of God's word? Well, we're going to answer that question. But first, let's look at what Paul says believers will encounter in those days leading up to the end times, which I believe we're in. We are moving, I believe, rapidly to the end of time. Now, you can have a difference of opinion. That's fine. But I would just say what I saw in COVID and how quickly things fell in global order, and now we see what is happening around the world right now, 
I mean, we are in very dangerous times. If I were not a believer, I would be scared to death. But I tell you what, I have no fear. Because God's plan is unfolding just as he said. So let's look at the times that I believe that we're entering in, that we're in. And first, Paul says there, before the end is here, there will be the great apostasy. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. The day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first. What does he mean by a falling away? It's a departure from the faith. It is leaving the faith. Paul writes about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Now, that, the, those are not that are genuinely in the faith. They are those that are kind of along for the ride. But when, the, when, when, the difficult, when it becomes difficult to be a follower of Jesus Christ, they're out of here. When there's a price to pay for following the Lord Jesus Christ, many will shrink away. You know, I served as the, during the Trump administration, I was the chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. It was a bipartisan commission of nine. I traveled the world meeting with Christians and, and others. And I, before I was on the commission, I, I, I took up a case of a Sudanese Christian mother Miriam Ibrahim. It's been about 10 years ago, and she was imprisoned in Sudan for allegedly apostasy from turning away from the Islamic faith. And she was thrown into prison, and I've been to that prison since then, and it's a notorious prison in Sudan. And in that country, mothers were often put in prison with their children. And so her 18-month-old son was in the prison with her, and the conditions were so bad that a child would die in there routinely, and it was no big deal. And she was also six months pregnant when she was thrown into the prison, and she was sentenced to die, a hundred lashes, and then she would be hung. Well, they were extending grace to her to allow her to give birth before they would execute her. And so she gave birth to a little girl chained to the floor of this prison. And they came in three different times and they told Mary, they said, if, if you will just renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, here is the door. You know, and I'm thinking about this here. She's, she could, how she could rationalize, well, I've got a son and I've got a daughter now and if I die, they're not going to be given to my husband. They're going to be given to some Muslim family to raise. And she could rationalize it, but not once, not twice, but three times she refused to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm happy to say as a result of the efforts of, of many friends on Capitol Hill and others that she is now living in America free with her children. But you see, I share that as an example of, of those believers around this world. And you mentioned you had a, someone from Nigeria that, who has family. The Nigeria is a country where Christians are being targeted. 
And we get upset if someone puts a negative social media post on our Facebook page. We don't want to talk about Jesus because it upsets some of our friends. Folks, people are dying because they will not deny Christ. You see, there's a great apostasy that is taking place. And people are fearful of being identified with Jesus Christ. And so as a result, they shrink back into silence. And that is apostasy. And it goes on. He says that not only are they departing from the faith, but they're giving. Because once you depart from the faith, he says you're giving. They give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's the Bible. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I mean, have you noticed that not eating certain foods has become a way of the virtue signal? I mean, it's almost a form of religion. I'm so glad you're having the wild beast feast. I mean, <laughs> I tell you, you're a, you're, a, you're a church on the word. Now, I, I will tell you, in South Louisiana, where I come from, you got to be careful because roadkill is a real thing. <laughs> they say as long as it's not stiff, it's, it's good. <laughs> for every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That's why you've got a prayer minister here to pray over that beast feast. You know, as, as an example of this um, apostasy, we're seeing this. I mean, front and center today where we see a, a number of Christian celebrities deconstructing their evangelical faith. So I was, I was reading up, just reading different personal accounts of this, and I, and I ran across one that they published it proudly. And so I was just reading through it, and, and this is the title of it, the, the Spark That Began My Christian Deconstruction. My, and I'm quoting, my own journey of deconstruction began well before I was aware of it as a high schooler on various social media sites. By the way, that is... Warning number one, parents and grandparents, that we need to be watching what our children are consuming. Social media platforms are a contagion for this. And, and, and parents, let me just say something. You have God's authority, and I'm going to affirm it this morning. You can tell your children no. Okay? Now, I could go into the social science on all of this, and I could talk about it, but that's not why I'm here this morning. But trust me, the science shows what is happening, and our children are suffering as a result of their exposure to social media. So parents take authority over that area of your children's lives. Continuing. And surrounded by peers coming from backgrounds and walks of life completely foreign to me, I began to see that my worldview was much too narrow. Seems like Jesus said something about narrow in Matthew chapter 7. She goes on to write, What really got my attention was the multiple friends and acquaintances throughout those four years who embraced gender identities and sexualities much different from what I had been brought up to understand. 
As I continued into college and even beyond, I realized that I myself may not be who I thought I once was. I am now at a place in my journey where spirituality isn't urgent to me anymore. I am no longer in a race against time to save every non-Christian person I know. It's very interesting to me to see how sexual identity is a factor in so many of these deconstruction experiences. You see, that's all of these things are happening in the world around us. And, and I see it. I talk to parents about it. I talk to grandparents because they see a, a child or a grandchild who's been exposed to these contagions and they come home and they announce that, you know, Sue is now Bill. And so they love them. And so the word of God must not be accurate. And so they have they feel they have to choose between one or the other. And I'm here to tell you, you don't. Yes, you love them. Now, part of the challenge in our culture today is we've conflated the term love and affirmation. We are to love everyone. We are to love our child. I, I tell you what, if you are a parent and you don't love your child, even, if, and I understand, some kids can do some bad things, but you are to love them. I mean, you read the, the account of the prodigal son. The father loved that child, didn't affirm, did not affirm the choices of that child, but loved that child. Our love should be unconditional, just as the father's love for us is unconditional. Waiting for us to return to him. As a parent, you should be waiting for them to return to you. but never affirming choices that run counter to the word of God. You know, before all this deconstruction of the faith began, uh, Ken Ham, a friend of mine, founders, founder of Answers in Genesis, he wrote a book probably 20, 25 years ago called Already Gone. And the premise of the book is that this idea that we have that our children lose their faith when they go to college is all wrong. It's not that they lose their faith when they go to college, it's already gone. Because in churches, in, in the home, we're not teaching our children biblical truths, we're teaching them Bible stories. And when tested by a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to truth, those stories don't stand up. We must begin to teach our children biblical truth. And I, if you show me your budget of a church and I see how much money you're spending on children, I, I can tell you what the future is for you. We need to be focusing on teaching our children, not entertaining them. But it doesn't stop with the departure from the faith. Some of you I see are in my generation. You might remember the old Bob Dylan song. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That is the reality. There is no spiritual neutrality. You can't say, well, I'm just in the middle. 
And this idea that our schools are supposed to be neutral. Tell me, how, this, how has that worked out? Show me one school in America that is morally neutral. That was a lie, by the way, to get us to back off so they could move in. There is, and I know this is, uh, yeah, is going to rankle the ears of uh, some who may be watching online. And that's fine. I make a habit of that. There's no spiritual neutrality. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the devil. Now, you may not acknowledge that, but that's the truth. Jesus said either you're with me or you're against me. You either gather or you scatter. So he says, he goes on, he says, this path of departure leads to a devotion to deceiving spirits. And it doesn't happen overnight, okay? It's not like you flip a switch and all of a sudden this is here. It is a gradual process that comes over time when we depart from the word of God. These deceiving spirits, and Jesus actually warned of this in Mark chapter 13 in his Olivet Discourse when he had left the temple for the last time and the disciples were asking him, now, Jesus, you've been saying all this stuff's going to happen. When, when, when do you come back? When's your kingdom going to be set up? And this is what he said, first thing out of his mouth. And Jesus answered them, began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. And multiple times as Jesus teaches about what is to come, he warns against deception. We need to be careful of deception. In verse 23 of that chapter, he says, but take heed, see, I have told you all these things beforehand. It's, it's all written down for us. Jesus warned us these things were going to happen so that our peace would not be lost, that we would not stumble, that we might retain our joy. So what form does the deception come in? Well, again, lays it out here in the doctrine of demons. Now, I know that's not politically correct, but it's biblically accurate. James 3.15 says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Paul, to his letter to the Corinthians, he says, for such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness who ends, whose end will be according to their works. See, discernment is needed. This is why we must pray, and this is why we must be in the Word of God. One dose a week of God's Word is not sufficient. How many of you eat one meal a week? We need to be, this is daily bread. We need to be in the word of God. And I, I'm going to, since I'm leaving after this, I'm going to step on some toes. <laughs> Men. I'm grateful for the ladies, and I've got a team of intercessors and a lot of women that pray, and they're committed to the, I've got a godly wife, but it's not her responsibility to lead my home. That's right. 
She is at my side. She is a prayer warrior. She's taught all of our children. I'm the spiritual leader. I'm up every morning before anyone in the house gets up so I can pray over my children, pray over my wife. Men, the days in which we live demand that you and I become serious about our walk with God. That we are in the word of God, we're praying to God, we're in fellowship with God because that's the only way that we are tethered to the truth and we're not drawn into the deceptions, we're not drawn into the conspiracies, we're not drawn into all of this stuff that's online because we are tethered to the everlasting word of God that never changes, is yesterday, today, and forever. And men, it is time for you to lead. I know the culture doesn't want it. It's toxic masculinity. It's all of this. But men, that is a lie from the pit of hell designed to destroy our families. It is time that men of God be standing on the word of God, praying to the God above. This, a great, this great apostasy is paving the way for, number two, the great revolt. Look at verse 6. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. See, as the lawless one is revealed, we see that he opposes God. He puts himself in the place of God above all that is called God. Now, the lawless one referred to here that Paul's talking about is the Antichrist, and that will be, when he comes, it'll be a time of great political and spiritual conflict. He will war against heaven itself. So, as I mentioned earlier, it's not going to flip a switch and all of a sudden it's here. We are moving toward this point in history. And as we do, we must expect and we are experiencing greater political and spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare. We're seeing that today. You cannot explain what is happening in our nation, what's happening in Washington, D.C. Our Congress is paralyzed. We don't have a Speaker of the House. We're literally paralyzed. We see what's happening in our classrooms across America where our children are being intentionally confused about their gender, denying that they're created in the image of God. We see what's happening right now in Israel. And all of these things, their roots are spiritual. Yes, I know they're playing out in the political. And yes, I know we have a responsibility to address those. But first and foremost, we must address them spiritually. Now, I don't, I don't think he realizes the profound accuracy of his statements when he says this, but President Biden is speaking truth, profound truth, revealing truth, when he says this. Turn your attention to the screen. 
This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart and, yes, the soul of America. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. A reminder that we remain in an ongoing battle for the soul of America. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. We remain in the battle for the soul of our nation. When I look around at all of you here today, I know we'll win that battle. By the way, that last clip was from the White House when he had a special event with children about transgenderism. There is a battle for the soul of America. But it's beyond the soul of America because nations don't have souls. They have content and character. It is the souls of children. It is the, it is the souls of men and women that are at issue here. What happens in this hour with which you and I have been entrusted with echoes into eternity. And we must realize it. And we must start using the spiritual weapons that the Lord has provided to us. What are those spiritual weapons? Well, first and foremost, it is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We need to use this Word. They don't want us to talk about this Word in public. You know, I have people all the time say, you know, in polite company, you don't talk about religion or politics. What do you talk about? I mean, I'm not going to talk about sports. And if you want to know what the weather is, step outside. The Word of God, prayer, fasting, that's a weapon. It's one that we don't like to pull out very often, but it is a weapon. Praise and worship. What we were doing here this morning, this is warfare. We were declaring something in the heavenlies. And thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a weapon. Because the enemy throws stuff at us, and you see this in Paul. Paul says, here's the will of God for you to be thankful. Yeah. And this guy went through everything. But you know what? It's like a boomerang. You, you turn it right around. It's a, it's a spiritual jujitsu. Yeah. Throw it at me, Satan. Thank you, God, for refining me, for, for bringing me closer to you. It's a weapon. And our testimony is a weapon. What God has done in your life, no one can deny. And we need to share that. You need to share your story. You need to tell your story because, you know, in this day of stories, everybody has their story. You have a story. And you can share that story. It says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, the Antichrist is not here, but the stage is being set. And, and, and so there's this discussion about the restraining of lawlessness. So what is restraining lawlessness today? I, I would actually say not much. I think we're living in a day of increasing lawlessness. And, and in this passage, there's actually... A considerable amount of debate among the scholars as to what Paul is referring to when he talks about the one that is restraining. Some suggest it is civil government rooted in the moral law of God. 
While others say it is the church and the Holy Spirit, I actually don't see those two in conflict, but in concert. It is the presence of the church, when I say church, individual believers, in which the Holy Spirit dwells, the presence of which shapes and informs government if we're the salt and light that God has called us to be. If we are voting, if we're showing up at city council meetings, if we're showing up at school board meetings, guess what? We are shaping government to be a restrainer of lawlessness. That is not a violation of the separation of church and state. That somehow our values, well, because they come from the Bible, they can't be included in the discussion. Hogwash. They absolutely can, they should, they have been, and the reason America is suffering as it is is because we have backed away. But this, this is not just civil government, but it's also self-government. It's family government, and it's church government. These are all God-ordained institutions when aligned with the Word of God and the will of God, they restrain evil. But as we're seeing today, as faith and obedience to the word of God recedes, lawlessness advances. Each one of us, each one of us living in obedience to the word of God restrains evil. I don't think it was any coincidence that in 2020 when the churches were shut down that the tide of lawlessness was flooding the nation. And it still has not receded. I was uh, in a one of those big box stores recently, I avoid them at all cost. I usually shop with, because I'll tell you, I don't think we should be giving our money to corporations who are opposed to our values. And so, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't go out promoting boycotts, I just spend my money as a good steward. And I, go, I shop with local, uh, local folks, but I, I had to go into this big box store. So my wife and I were in there very quickly to get something. And um, I saw this mother, younger mother, Three young kids, I'm guessing, between the ages of eight and five, and she had them in tow. And the, and the last one was the little boy. He was about five years old, and he was a little cantankerous, and, and it probably had done something, was complaining. And the mother turned around and said to him, where is your self-government? Exercise your self-government. And I'm like, whoa. I told my wife, I said, did you hear that? That is what restrains lawlessness. That mother understood that if my five-year-old will self-govern, guess what? He won't have to be governed by the civil authorities. You see, we need to govern ourselves according to the Word of God. And with each successive level of government, our churches, our communities, and yes, yes, our government, our civil government. So let's look quickly at the, the results of this apostasy that we're talking about. Again, over in Timothy, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he says, and from such people turn away. Now, he's not talking about the world. This should not be found in our churches. This is what happens from apostasy when we turn away from the truth. This becomes a part of the church. This is why we must pray. And this is why we must engage. We must vote. The the, the great revolt will lead to this. It leads to the great delusion. Again, Verse 9 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. By the way, Satan is real. I know today people don't think he's real. Hell's not real. It's all just intended to scare you. It's real. And see, this this is how Satan works, the deception that Jesus talked about. If you don't believe your enemy is real, then how is he going to be an enemy? You know, Sun Tzu, who is the, the, the art of war, said you need to know yourself and know your enemy. And if you, you know yourself and you know your enemy, you, you will prevail. But if you don't know yourself and you don't know your enemy, you're going to be defeated every time. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So how does this process begin? Rejected the truth. They rejected Jesus, the Word of God. And so what happens when you reject the truth, when there is no longer truth, and you reject truth, you receive the delusion. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. The big lie is not about the 2020 election. The big lie is about the usurpation of God, his word, and his authority. You see, you see this throughout Scripture. If you refuse to hear, eventually you can't hear. If you refuse to see, eventually you will not be able to see. So if you reject the truth, eventually you will not be able to know the truth. And so you will be given over to delusion, working those things which are unseemly, which Paul writes in Romans. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So how do we keep from being deceived? The Word of God. We stand firm on the truth. We we cannot allow the culture or the world to disarm us of our weapon, the truth of God. 
Therefore, brethren, stand firm and hold the traditions or the teachings. It's not the traditions he's talking about, like we used to do it that way, so we're going to keep doing it that way. It is the teachings he's talking about, which you were taught, whether by word, by preaching, or by our epistle, the written word. You see, the truth of God inoculates us against the virus of deception. See, that's one inoculation I'll take. Some of you got that. Some will get it at lunchtime. In the day of spiritual apostasy, which I think, based on what we've talked about this morning, the lawlessness and the abandonment of truth, we know that we're in this time. How are followers of Jesus to stand firm? How can we stand firm in this day? Well, number one, I want you to know that it is expected that you and I will stand firm. Jesus did not, he, he's told us, he's not going to put anything more on us that we cannot handle. Now, he does say that the love of many will grow cold. Now, I, I know we, we tend to focus on the love of many, but that tells me the love of some will not. And I want to focus on the some. I want to prepare the some to be ready to stand firm in this day. Well, here's what we're to do. Number one, we are to pray. Now, this, is, this may sound elementary, you know, sometimes we've got to go back to the basics. We need to hold to the word of God. Therefore, brethren, stand firm and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Mark 13, 33, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. And in Luke chapter 18, Paul, or Jesus tells a parable about prayer and being persistent in prayer about the widow. And he says, then he spoke a parable to them. The men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You know, when you get anxious, when you, you start to see the news and you begin to wonder, drop to your knees and pray. You know, Paul, I've just loved to study. I've written a lot on Paul's letters. And Paul was a man of prayer. He was a teacher and he was, he was, I mean, he didn't have these long prayers. We don't have to have, I mean, people think, I don't have all that time to pray. Really? I mean, Peter had the shortest prayer in the Bible. Lord save me when he was sinking. You don't have to pray long. You just need to pray to God. And we need to be praying. And again, I'm going to put this up here. I think we have a slide here. I want to encourage you to be praying for Israel. I believe God will hear our prayers. And so get this prayer guide, text Israel to 67742, and join us in praying for Israel. I believe, I'm believing this, God is going to do something there that will cause the world to know. They will, it will be beyond, just like we, we, we've seen in history, where God has shown up on behalf of the Jewish state, and I believe God is going to do it again, and the world will be watching that they might know that there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we need to be praying into this moment that this would be a revival, awakening moment for the world. Because 
All of the, the, the media, all of the news focused on this small little region of the world. It's for the glory of God. We need to be praying into this situation. And then we need to, we need to I'm going to be very clear, we need to vote. Voting represents our stewardship of being salt and light. We need to engage. We need to spread the gospel. We need to influence the world around us. And Paul says in verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father establish you in every good word and work. It's not about just being in your heart. It's not about just being in your head. We need to confess Jesus as Lord in everything that we do. Our workplace, we were just having, Pastor Corey and I were having this conversation in between services. You know, what made America such a great nation in terms of our economy was what is referred to as the Puritan work ethic. Because we see our work as an extension of our worship. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. And, and so that means we cannot allow our work to be in conflict with our faith. And that's why we must have religious freedom in this country. And that's why we spend at the Family Research Council so much time on protecting religious freedom so that you don't have to check the, your faith at the door of whether you're in the private sector or whether you're a fireman, a policeman. You don't have to check your faith at the door just because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But that is shaped by how we vote and who we elect. And then finally, we are to stand. I mentioned this earlier, but there is no despiritualized zone. There's no middle ground. We're either for the Lord or we're against him. And he is calling us to stand upon and for his truth. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are being called in this day of uncertainty, this day of difficulty, this day of challenge, this day of turmoil, to stand firm with confidence on the truth of God so that others might know. Just our testimony of peace in the midst of great anxiety speaks volumes to those around us. Now, do I know what's going to happen? Is America going to turn around and experience a great revival? And I hope so. I pray so. I'm working to see that happen. But that's not why I do it. I do it because that's what God has called us to do. One of my famous or favorite individuals from history is John Quincy Adams, in part because he was the nephew of Samuel Adams, who is my favorite political historical figure in this country, a 
Samuel Adams was seen as the last of the great Puritans, the father of the revolution. But his nephew, John Quincy, did something that no other president, he served one term as president, he was a Puritan as well, and didn't play the politics, and so didn't get along with everybody because he, he, he did it by the book. And so he only served one term as president, but he did something that no one else that served as president has ever done. He ran after being president for Congress and was elected to Congress. And he served nearly 20 years in Congress as a congressman. But you know why he did that? Anyone, any historical students, students of history here? He did it because he wanted to see slavery ended. His mother, Abigail, had pleaded with her husband, John, John Quincy's father, as the second president to do away with slavery, but he said the time wasn't right, he didn't do it. John Quincy, taught by his mother, passionate about this, constantly brought this issue up on the floor of the House of Representatives. Until in 1836, they got so tired of hearing him, they passed what was called the gag rule, that you couldn't even mention the word slavery on the House floor. That Sound familiar? The cancel culture? Want to silence those they don't agree with? So he had a, a reporter, I think, came up to him and asked him about it. Probably a CNN reporter. I don't know. <laughs> Said, Mr. Adams, are you ready to throw in the towel, ready to quit? You've, you've done all of this all these years, and now you can't even talk about the very issue that you ran for Congress and you're passionate about. And Here's what he said. He said, duty is ours. Results belong to God. Duty is ours. The results belong to God. We've been called to stand firm on the truth of God's word. We will trust him with the outcome of our stand for truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as you have promised, you have said that you, your word will not return unto you void. And Lord, we look to your word this morning and we're asking for the Holy Spirit to take that word and activate it in our lives. To, to convict us, to challenge us, to change us that we might be your instruments in this hour. Lord, you could have done it many different ways, but you have chosen to make yourself known through your followers. The gospel is carried forth by those whose lives have been impacted by the gospel. God, I pray that you would move in our midst here in our final moments together.